So great to see each and every one of you this morning and just to be back here with you as we're continuing in our series from the book of James called Just Do It. You know, if you were here with us last week, Pastor Carlos, uh, he led us through this passage in James chapter two, where James is talking about how we're to be treating other people, how we're supposed to deal with one another. And he showed us that James used one word very particular specifically to get this message conveyed. And the word was favoritism or partiality. And I really like this word because it's a compound word in the Greek. And if you actually look at this Greek word, it is this. It's prosopolemseia, and it refers to receiving someone's face. Literally, it means to receive someone at face value. And I think this is so important for us to understand, not only in just last week's message, but in what we're going to talk about today. Because believe it or not, I think that we have become really good at faking it that we become really good about manipulating the reality that we want people to see, about the image that we put off, that we only want people to see of us. We don't want them to see us weak or vulnerable or tired or stressed. We want this image where we look strong, where we look like everything's going perfect inside of our lives. And so when we go to receive people, when we go to interact with people, meeting them face to face, we struggle sometimes because you never really know what you're going to get. Is the person that I'm interacting with right now, are they real? Like, I know that they're a real person, but is the image that I'm seeing, is the the friendship that we're building, is that real or is that just some manipulated reality that exists? And the sad reality is, is that nine times out of 10, everything's fake. That we have a difficult time being real with other people. And it goes into our marriages, into our relationships, into our jobs, into our social circles. And we just have this fakeness that exists in the world around us. And you know it's gotten so bad when it even infiltrates its way into the things that we buy, into the things that we look at. And we have a desire for realness. We want realness. We want those real connections but we're afraid to kind of give them back. And so anytime we see the word real, it it triggers a light bulb or it sets a flag in motion for us. Like, Hey, this is the real thing. This is cool. I want to engage in it. For example, if I were to go to the supermarket and I were to look for popsicles, I could find 15, 16, 17 different brands of popsicles. But the one that's going to catch my eye is the one that's labeled containing real fruit. And I know that it's real because it's twice as expensive as everything else is, right? I know that this must be the real thing. And I buy it, I get home, I unwrap it. I'm like, yes, I'm just, I'm ready for this peach and mango. And I eat it and I'm like, this does not taste like real fruit. And I look at the nutrition facts and I see it says made with fruit juices from concentrates like water, concentrated apple, boysenberry, lemon juice. And the next line, it says no real fruit. Now, if it's being advertised as having real fruit, and yet when you actually get the reality of it and there's nothing there, it's just this synthesized reality that exists. See, manufacturers and advertisers, they've gotten really good at trying to spin or trying to promote things in such a way that they can cut costs, that they can reduce things to make it as cheap and as fake as possible while still making you believe that what you're actually taking in is real. The perfect example I have of this is this. Most of you may have this in your cupboards. I can't believe it's not butter, right? I guarantee you there's not a single person in this room today who has a hard time believing that this isn't real butter, right? If you've had real butter, you know it's just not the same. 
But this is really what it's all about. It's this manipulated reality that exists that we desire, we crave for realness, but everything around us is fake. We don't know what is right, what is wrong. We don't know what is real, what is fake. We don't know what people are telling us, what people are saying to us, if it's true or if it's false. We struggle with it. For instance, if I were to tell you that there's a word and the word is this, humu humu nuku nuku apua'a, half of you would say, yes, I know that's the word. The other half of you would say, God bless you, right? You'd be like, I, I don't know what that is. Some of you maybe split in this conversation saying, well, I, I know Matt, I know he's a pastor. He's in a position of authority and he would never mislead us. There's no way that he would just give us this word that would be false, but there's another half of you who say, well, he is a youth pastor and he has to deal with kids all day. So odds are his brain isn't really all there. So he could just speak things out and make them seem like they're real, right? Well, to put your hearts at ease, this is actually a real word. It's the name of the state fish of Hawaii, also known as the trigger fish. How many of you knew that? All right. How many of you thought I was just making it up? All right, all right, there you go. I love it. But that's what this is really is all about, folks. This is what James is trying to get at in our passage this morning that we live in the midst of a world that is anything but real. We live in a world that loves to push fakeness. I mean, we even have a theme as a community, a theme as a world that says, fake it until you make it. Most of you have heard that before. And this is the idea that's conveyed that you just need to fake it, do whatever it takes to make it seem like you fit in, even though the reality is you are anything but. You know, there's a, a slide that I accidentally skipped over that I, I want to bring up real quick because I think this is so important. It's a picture I have of McDonald's. Most of us know that we have these advertised realities. And I think this relates a lot to our lives, that this is what we push out for the world to see. We want to look like we have it all together. We want people to see us being, you know, this idea of real, that we're just delicious, that we're awesome, that we got everything going on in our lives. Yes, I said we're delicious. And then when people come and they actually interact with us, they find that it's anything but. We don't really live lives like our social media portrays us to. We don't really live the lives that we tell people that we live. See, we all have become good at manipulating this reality that exists of who we are and what we convey to the world. And James, he calls us out on this. He says, we need to stop being fake people. We need to start being real because real people are all about real love and real love is all about real faith. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This idea of what is real faith and in our passage, you see, there's so many people who claim to be Christian. There's so many different false religions that exist out there that it's hard for us to distinguish what's real and what's fake anymore. But James is calling it out and he's saying there's a comparison in place here between what real faith and what fake faith looks like. What a real believer should look like and what a fake believer actually looks like. And I believe our passage this morning from James 2 verse 14 is one of the most misunderstood and one of the most misinterpreted scriptures. Because so many people use it to say real faith is all about doing works. It's all about doing deeds. You have to do these things in order to truly be a Christian. And we kind of are taken aback by this because everything we've learned in the Old Testament into the New Testament from Paul says that no, it's by the grace of God and by faith alone that we are saved. And then we got this guy named James who comes on the scene and says, no, 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 that's good that you've got faith. That's good that God is graceful. But what really matters is that it's faith and deeds. 
that you do work to accompany your faith. Well, who do we believe? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's telling us which direction that we're supposed to go to in order to find out if we have real faith or not? Well, the hard part for us to determine is this, is that this is Paul versus James, and they're both correct. They're both just coming at it from a very different perspective. You see, Paul's coming at it from a very legalistic standpoint. He's addressing the people who said, no, we've got to keep strict to these, uh, these rituals, these customs, these laws, these traditions in order for us to be people of faith. And James is coming at it saying, no, it's not about those things. It's about the lifestyle of the believer. It's about how you engage in your life. Paul is looking at it more from a standpoint of this idea of we're talking about the Jewish people who are so built on customs and like circumcision and rituals that they were defining that that's what true believers are. That's the mark of a true believer. And James is saying, no, it's about how you interact with people. It's about what you do. It's the same word they're using for works together. But Paul is looking at the root of salvation, which is what happens on the inside while James is looking at the fruit of salvation, which is what is manifested on the outside. You know, Jesus even said it himself, by their fruits, they will be known. By their fruits, they will be known. And so Paul is telling us, this is how you know that you have real faith, while James is saying, this is how you show you have real faith. So how do you know that you have real faith? How do you show other people that what is on the inside is real? that you truly have this belief, this desire to know who God is and engage with him in your life. And James does a great job helping us understand that. And he gives us five things to think about that I want you to write down with me this morning. So if you look at your notes outline, please write down the first one. Is that James tells us that real faith is not just something you say. Real faith is not just something you say. It's not just something you go around talking about. It's not just this, oh yeah, I got faith kind of thing. In verse number 14, he says this, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? You know, it doesn't say he actually has faith. It says, what if someone claims to have faith, if they say they have faith? Yeah, they may know some Bible verses. They may attend church every once in a while. They claim to have this faith, but there's no reality on the inside. You know, George Gallup, who leads the Gallup polls, he did a survey and he found that 50 million Americans identify themselves as born-again believers. 50 million Americans. When you look at the world around you, do you feel that's true? Do you see that in your jobs, in your social circles, in the places that you go? Do you see the reality of people who are confessing to be born-again believers actually living the life of a true believer? I struggle to see it. And I know sometimes I don't really help but add to that number because I am quick to label people as being Christian at the slightest sound that they may know who Jesus is. If someone says, oh yeah, I know what John 3, 16 is, I'm like, Christian, don't have to worry about them, right? And I think that we categorize and we just group all these people because it's easier for us just to say, yep, you got a Bible verse, you're sawed. Let me go over here now. And we kind of shift from who is this real faith and who is this fake faith and and what we're supposed to do here. You know, Jesus said it himself, not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's the sad reality, folks. And not everyone who has a Christian bumper sticker is a Christian. Not everyone who is a professor of Christianity is a professor of Christianity. See, it's more than just something you say. 
It's more than just talk. It's about actual living this lifestyle, having a follow-up to the words that you're going to say. The second thing that he tells us is this. Real faith is not just something you feel. Real faith is not just something you feel. It's more than just feelings and emotions and good sentiments. You can come to church and be like, man, that was a great message. I just, I, I, it was just so awesome and leave these doors and it's just, it's gone. It meant nothing to you. You can come to church or you can be somewhere and someone says something biblical or talks about Christ and you get goosebumps. You're like, dude, that's powerful. But there's no reality that exists beyond that moment. See, it's more than just a feeling. James says in the next verse, 14, he says, or 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? He says, what use is that? What good is it if you say like, man, I I see you in need, but you don't do anything about it. I feel for you, but there's no action that results from it. It reminds me of a Peanuts cartoon that I happened to find in this Peanuts cartoon, it's got a picture of Charlie Brown and Linus. And they're talking, they're outside in the snow, they're all bundled up and looking warm. And poor Snoopy is sitting off in the corner, shivering in the cold in front of an empty food bowl. And they're looking at Snoopy and they're just kind of gauging. It's like, man, Snoopy looks kind of cold, doesn't he? It's like, he looks like he's, he's cold, he's in need, he's probably hungry. Maybe we should go over and do something. Maybe we should go and comfort him. And so they walk over and I'm sure Snoopy gets all excited. He's like, yes, they're coming over. Maybe I can go inside where it's warm. Maybe I can get some food where it's warm. Or maybe I can get a blanket that's going to help warm me up. Well, they walk over and they simply just say, be of good cheer, Snoopy. Be of good cheer. And they walk away. You know where Charles Schultz got this cartoon idea from? From this passage in James, what good is it if you see someone in need, you claim to have faith, people know that you're a Christian and you see people hurting, but yet you don't do anything about it. You don't act upon it. You just say, I feel for you. For instance, if you were to go home and be like, you know what, I'm just in this health kick right now and I want to make this amazing smoothie, right? You put all your fruits and berries in it, you blend it up with your Ninja Blender and everything's great and you drink it and you're satisfied and you go to clean your Ninja Blender and you happen to slice your finger open on the blade and you're just gushing blood everywhere. And for some reason you happen, this is a real story for me, by the way. Um, And you happen to call me just in a state of panic. You're like, Matt, Matt, what do I do? And I just say, be of good cheer. I feel for you right? You're going to be like, okay, thanks. Great. Like I'm dying over here. I'm bleeding out. And you're just like, be of good cheer. What is this supposed to do? See, it's about taking action. It's not just about saying that's enough. It's not just about, oh, I feel that you're in pain. I resonate with you. It's about going deeper than that. You see, real faith should spur you. It should encourage you to want to invest in the lives of other believers, to join in the lives of other believers, to be a part of their lives and interact with them, to help them however you can, do whatever it takes. 1 John 3, 17 says this, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? See, who can count on you in a crisis? If there's an emergency in the middle of the night, how many of your friends know that they can call you and that you will get up and come? Rather than just like, oh man, I'm going to be there for you whenever you need, except for the hours of 12 to 6 a.m., right? How many of your friends know that you will truly do whatever it takes to be by their side in the moment of need? 
See, folks, that's what it comes down to. We're so good about walking or saying this. We're so good about having this verbalization that we are believers, but we're so bad at practicing it, about actually living it out in our lifestyle. And James, he points this out in the next verse. He says, in the same way, or even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. James is laying it on the line here. He says, you say that you have belief, well, then act upon it. You say that you're a real believer, then do something about it. Don't just let it be words. Be a person of action. It's more than just something you say. It's more than just something you feel. And the next thing he tells us is this. Real faith isn't just something you think. Real faith isn't just something you think. It goes deeper than this. In verse 18, he says this. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. See, real faith is visible. It's actionable. You should be able to see it manifested in someone's life. Someone once said that faith is like calories. You can't see it, but you can see the results from it, right? And I think the same thing is true is that James is pointing this out, that if you say that you're a believer, that's great. Now prove it. Live the lifestyle. Show me that you're a believer, for instance, if I were to tell you that I'm on this super health cleanse right now, I'm just, I want to be fed. I want to be toned. I want to do all these things because I believe that health is so important in life, that a healthy body and a healthy mind leads to a healthier lifestyle. And after service, you're asking me questions about it. Man, I'm so encouraged by that. You know, where do you go to the gym? I don't. Okay, well, what kind of healthy foods do you eat? I don't. Okay, well, do you go get checkups to make sure you're healthy? Nope. Do you get sleep? Nope. What good is it? What good is it just to say, just to think, yeah, it'd be great to be a believer, but have no actionable action as a result of it. See, real faith is taking action. It's not just thinking well wishes about it. It's not just thinking, well, it'd be great if this were to happen in theory. It's about living it out in your lifestyle. It's about demonstrating it everywhere that you go. It's more than just something you think. For instance, if I were to grab a hold of an exposed 220 volt wire, odds are you're going to see a change in my life immediately, okay? And I have a hard time believing that when Christ comes into your lives, people shouldn't see the same kind of result with how powerful, how magnificent, how wonderful, how much God changes people. I struggle to believe that if you look at a person's life and you don't see that, if there's actually a faith that exists there, and this is the same thing that James is calling us out. He says, real faith should show change in your life. It should have some kind of result where people can see it produces a change. It produces a reality. And the next thing he tells us this, real faith is not just something that you believe. Real faith is not just something that you believe. In verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one. You do well. But the demons also believe and shudder. See, there's a lot of people who claim to be believers. There's a lot of faiths. There's a lot of religions and denominations and all these things that exist out there. But James is saying, look, it's not enough just to say that you're a believer because that's not what's going to get you into heaven. See, even the demons themselves believe in God and they shudder. This word shudder in the Greek is the word to bristle. It's where your hairs stand up on the end of your skin. And the reason that is, is because they see the awe, the power, the might, the majesty, this authority that God has, the change that he brings into people's lives, and it terrifies them. 
It makes them shudder because they believe that it's real. And this word believe in the Greek, it's this word to trust and to cling to, to rely on, or to commit yourself to completely. See, this is what real faith is all about, about committing to it completely. Not just saying you're going to do it, not just thinking you're going to do it, not just feeling good about it, not just believing, but actually taking action inside of it. So what is real faith? What does it look like? Well, this is the last thing that James tells us this morning. He says this, real faith is something you do. A real faith is something you do. It's active. Real faith isn't passive. It's something that just doesn't sit idly. And the next couple of verses, James, he gives an illustration of two very different people, a man by the name of Abraham and a woman by the name of Rahab. And they couldn't be more complete polar opposites. Abraham's a man, Rahab was a woman. Abraham was, he was a patriarch. Rahab was a prostitute, right? Abraham was Jewish. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a somebody. Rahab was a nobody. But what James is alluding to here is this idea that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are, what you claim to be. What matters at the end of the day is what you do with your faith. What you do with your faith. You see, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son for his faith in the Lord. Rahab was willing to sacrifice her life because of her faith in the Lord. This is the same kind of mentality that we have to look at. You see, our real faith, it's not determined by what we do. It's demonstrated by what we do. One last closing story I have for you is about 35 years ago, there was a man named George Blondin. He was a tightrope walker who set to cross over Niagara Falls. And they had strung this, this uh, rope out for him to walk across and crowds had gathered on both sides of the borders and were cheering him on. And he steps up there and he starts walking across and he gets about halfway across and people in the audience were just the end of their seats. Like, oh man, if he, if he were to wobble and fall, he's done. If a gust of wind comes, it's going to blow him off and he's going to fall to his death. And they're just kind of eagerly anticipating what's going to happen next. But George makes it all the way to the other side and the crowds go crazy and they cheer for him. It was this amazing feat. And he says, you know what? This feels so good. I'm going to do it again and go back. And so he gets on the rope and he walks across and people are like, oh my gosh, his legs must be tired. Like there's no way that he could do this twice. And he gets to the other side and people are screaming and they're cheering and it's even louder at this point. And they're like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. And he says, you know what? I want to up my game because I'm going to push a wheelbarrow full of dirt across the tightrope and go to the other side. People are like, no, right? Like this is no way. And so he gets this wheelbarrow full of dirt and he pushes it across and people are going nuts and he makes it to the other side and like, oh my gosh, what's he going to do next? Is he going to drive a car across? Like, you know, like, what is it? And he interacts with a man on the other side who says, you know what, Mr. Blondin, I believe that you could do this all day long. To which Mr. Blondin's response were, if you truly believe that, get in the wheelbarrow. I have a hard time believing that man actually stepped foot in that wheelbarrow, right? He probably ran the other way. And the same thing is true. And I think this is what God is getting at as I close this morning. It's this idea of if you claim to have real faith, prove it. Don't just say that you're a believer. Don't just have all the right words to say to talk the good talk. You need to walk the good walk. You need to put your money where your mouth is. You need to show other people that your faith is real and it's demonstrated by the things that you do. I know 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test 
yourselves. See if you're a believer or not. I think the question that James is asking us this morning is this. Do you know that you have real faith? What makes your faith different from the unbelievers? That if you were to die today, do you know without a doubt, without any hesitancy or reservation in your heart of where you're going to end up? Because that doesn't have to be a doubt. That doesn't have to be a fear. And I know a lot of us, we may have struggled. We have times when we feel really close to God and times where we feel separated from God. I don't know if my faith is, is really real. But you see, God, he's up in heaven. He is extending his arm down in grace and forgiveness and love and mercy. And he's saying, I am here to rescue you. And we can choose to believe to see that hand and say, yeah, that's great. I know God's trying to save me. Or we can take action and reach up and grab hold of him. It's about doing. It's about connecting with God because that's where salvation exists. That's what God wants for your life. He wants you to know without a doubt that you have real faith. It's not just a talk. It's not just a feeling. It's not just something you think about. It's not just a belief. It's a reality of what exists inside of you. And the question is, do you want to have that kind of faith? A kind of faith that can move mountains. A kind of faith that lets you know you are saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for your message, Father. Father, I know that we've got doubts. Father, I, I want us to know that our faith is real. Father, I pray that you show us who you are in our lives, Father, that we do, we have this real faith, not a phony faith. Father, we give every area of our lives to you as best as we know. God, our past, the things that have happened, the good, the bad, the achievements, the faults, the sins, the mistakes, God, we give it all to you. God, we know that we've gone our own way many times and we ask your forgiveness. Father, we give you our future. We don't know what it holds, but we know that you have the power to make us into the person that you created us to be. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just put a confirmation on our hearts today that we just were giving ourselves to you. Father, it's not a promise to be perfect, but it's a promise to let you have control. Father, I pray that you make us new people, Father, that we could stand firm in this faith that we have in you. God, and we would be demonstrators of that change, of that power, of that might that you have. Father, thank you for what you do. Father, thank you for being a part of my life. I pray this in your name.